Middlemarch by George Eliot Prelude Who that cares much to know the history of man and how the mysterious mixture behaves under the varying experiments of time had not dwelt at least briefly in the life of Saint Teresa had not smiled with some gentleness at the thought of the little girl walking forth one morning hand in hand with her still smaller brother to go and seek martyrdom in the country of the moors out they toddled from a rugged alvea wide-eyed and helpless looking as two fawns but with human hearts already beating to a national idea till a domestic reality met them in shape of uncles and turned them back from their great resolve a children primrose was a fit beginning Teresa's passion a deal nature demanding an epic life what, what, what were many volume romances shivery and social conquests of a brilliant girl to her a flame quickly burned up that light fuel and fed up fed from within soared after some limitable satisfaction some object which would never justify weariness which would recall Curse cell, self despair, the rad progressive consciousness of life beyond self. She found of Echos, the former religious elder, a Spanish woman who lived three hundred years ago, though certainly not the last of her kind. Many trees have been born and found for themselves, nothing life. Within there was a constant unfolding of the far risen action, perhaps only a life of mistakes, the offspring of a certain spiritual grandeur, ill marched the meanness of opportunity, perhaps a tragic failure, which found no sacred poet and sank up wept into oblivion. The dim lights and tangled circumstances, they tried to shape their fault and deed in noble agreement. But after all, to common eyes, their struggles seem more inconsistently and formlessly, but they are later born freezers, both helped by no current, current social faith and order which could perform the function of knowledge for an only willing soul. The ardour alternated between a vague ideal and a common yearning of womanhood, so that one was approved as an extravagance and the other commend as lapse. Some have felt that these blighted, blundering lives are due to the convenient indefiniteness with which the superior powers fashioned the natures of woman woman if there were no one level of feminine and complete as strict as liability count free and no more social lot of women might be treated with scientific certitude maybe meanwhile the indefiniteness remains limits of variation are really much wider than anyone would imagine the same as a woman's free a favourite love story to pose and verse here and there a signet is reared uneasily among the ducklings in the brown pond never finds a living stream fellowship with its own already footed for kind here and there is born a saint teresa fondness of nothing whose loving gold heart beats and sobs of an unattained goodness tremble off and disperse among hindrances instead of centering in a long recognizable deed. Book One, Miss Brooke, Chapter One. Since I had no good 
However, it can do no good become, because a woman reached constantly as something that is near it, the main tragedy Belmont and Fletcher. Miss Brooke and that kind of beauty which seems to be thrown to relief by poor dress. Her hand and wrist were so finely conformed that you could wear sleeves not less bare of style than those which the Blessed Virgin appeared to Italian painters, profile as well as her stature, her bearing seemed to gain a more dignity for her paying garments, which by the side of provisional fashion gave her the preciousness of fine concretion in the Bible, one of the older poets in a paragraph of today's newspaper. She is unusually spoken as being remarkably clever, but with addition, her sister Celia had more common sense. Nevertheless, Celia wore scarcely more trimmings. It was only two close observers that her dress differed from her sister's and a shade of coquetry in its arrangements of Miss Brooks' plain dressing. The Jews in mixed conditions, in most of which her sisters shared. The pride of being ladies has something to do with it. The Brook connections, though not exactly aristocratic, were crushingly good. If you inquire backwards for generation two, you wouldn't find any yard measuring, parcel trying forefathers. Anything lower than Admiral or clergyman was even ancestor discreditable as a Puritan gentleman who served under Cromwell, but afterwards conformed and managed to come out of all political troubles as a proprietor respectable family state. Young women of such birth living in a quiet country house, attending a village, church, hardly larger than a perler, naturally regarded flippery as ambition of the huckster's daughter. Then they were well bred a commonly, which in those days made show in dress were the first item to be deducted from, which any margin was acquired for expenses more distinct of rank. Such reasons would have been enough to account for plain dress, quite apart from religious feeling. But in Mrs. Brooke's case, religion alone would have determined it. See him mildly exquisited in all the sediment, only infusing them with that common sense is able to accept Montreux's doctrines without any eccentric agitation. Dorothina knew any passages of Parcelles Penise, of Jeremy Taylor's by heart, by a destinies of mankind, seen by the light of Christianity, made of solitudes, phenomenal fashion, a peer, occupation for Bendlam. She would not reconcile the anxieties of the spiritual life for all internal consequences. With a keen interest in lip and artificial protrusions in drapery. Her mind was theoretic and yearned by its nature some lofty conception of a world which might frankly include a parish in Tipton and her own rule by conduct there. She was unarmoured by intensity, greatness, and rash embracing whatever seemed to those, have those aspects, likely to seek martyrdom, to make re attractions, and then to occur martyrdom. After all, in a quarter where she had not sought it, certainly such elements of the character of a marriageable girl tended to interfere with her lot. Hendrick had been decided according to the custom of good looks, vanity, and mere canine affection. Of all this, she, the elder sisters, was not yet twenty, and they had both been educated since they were about twelve years old, lost their parents on plains, once narrow and prosperous, first in an English family, last in a Swiss family, and the same. A bachelor uncle and guardian trying in his way to remedy the disadvantages the orphaned condition. It's hardly years since they could come to live at Tipton Garange with their uncle, a man in his sixty, crescent temper, mysterious opinions, and a certain vote. He had travelled in his younger years 
and was held by his parts of the country to have contacted a true rambling habit of mind. Mr. Brooks' conclusions were difficult to predict as the weather. It was only safe to say that he would act, would act with benefit relevant intentions, that he would spend as little money as possible in carrying them out. But most scrupulously indefinite minds enclose some hard grains of habit. Man had been sent seen lax about all his own interests, except the retention of his stuff box, concerning which he was watchful, suspicious and greedy of clutch. Mr. Brook, heritage of strain, appearance and energy, was clearly of an abundance. But his niece, Dorothea, it glowed like like through faults and virtues, turning sometimes into patience of her uncle's wolf, talking his way way of making letting things be his state, making her long her long all the more for time, which would be age and have some command of money for generous schemes. She was regarded as an heiress, for not only had the sisters seven hundred a year, each and their parents. Dorothea married and had a son, a son would inherit Mr. Brooks' estate, which would be worth about 3000 a year, a rental which seemed wealth to vertical families. Still discussing Mr. Peel's late conduct, Catholic question, innocent of future of goldfields, but not the gorgeous plenary as so nobly exalted in accessories of gentle life. How should I do a free and not married? And how should... And how should Dorothea not marry? A girl so handsome, with such prospects, nothing could hinder it. But a love which streams in her instance, regulating life according to notions, which might cause a weary man to hesitate, for he made on her an offer, or even might lead her to at last to refuse all offers. A young lady of such some birth and fortune, who knelt slowly down on a brick floor by side, a sick labour, and prayed fervently, as if she thought herself living time of apostles, who had strange whims of fasting like a Baptist, and sitting up all night to read old theological books. Such a wife might awaken you surviving in the morning, new scheme for the application of her welcome income, which would interfere with political economy and keeping of saddle horses. Keeping of saddle horses. A man would naturally think twice before he risked himself in such fellowship. Women expected to have weak opinions. The great safeguard of society and domestic life was what opinions opinions were not acted on. Same people did what their neighbours did, so that if their lunatics were at large, one might know and avoid them. The raw option for the new young ladies, even among the great cottages, generally in favour of Celia, had been so animal and innocent-looking. While this book's large eyes seemed like a rich religion, too unusual and striking, poor Dorothea, compared with her, the innocent looking Celia, was numbing and wisely wise, so much subtle in the human mind, the outside of tissues, which made a sort of blazery or pluck face for it. Now, those approached her fear through prejudice against her by this alarming hearsay, found that she had a charm and candidly considerable with it. Those men thought her bewitching when she was on horseback. She learned the fresh, loved the fresh air, various aspects of the country, when her eyes and cheeks glowed with mingled pleasure. She looked very like a devotee. Riding was indulgence which she allowed herself, spite of conscious qualms, concentrous charms. She felt she enjoyed it in a pagan centrist way, and always looked forward to renouncing it. She's open, ardent, and not in the least self-imagined, admiring. Indeed, it's pretty 
to see her imagination adorned to her sister Cecilia, attractions altogether superior to her own. Many gentlemen appeared to come range with some other motive. Then most of seeing that of seeing Miss Brook Miss Brook, she concluded, he must be in love with Celia, Sir James Chetnaman, for example, whom she constantly considered from Cleese's point of view, inwardly debating whether he would be good for Celia to accept him. He would should be God his suitor for to herself. Would have seen to her ridiculous irreverence, to fear, all eagerness to know the truth of life, retain very childish ideas about marriage. Felt sure she would have accepted a Judas Hooker. She had been born in time to save him. That wretched mistake made a matrimony. Jim Milton from his blindness to come on. Of any of the other great men whose old habits, other habits, it would have been gloriously petty to endure. But had a more handsome bonnet, who has said exactly to her marks, even when his press uncertainty would have been affected her as a lover. Really, a delightful marriage might be that where my husband was a sort of father he could teach you even Hebrew if you wished it. These peculiarities of Dover's character, who caused Mr. Brooks to be all the more blamed in neighbouring families, but not screwing some middle-aged lady to guide her companions and nieces. But to he himself dreaded so much the sort of superior woman like to be available for such a position, that he allowed himself to be dissuaded by Dorothy's objections, was in his case brave enough to defy the world. That is to say, Miss Wanda, Rector's wife, a small group of gentry, with whom he visited the nearest corner, Lemshire, so Miss Brooke decided her uncle's prose hold and did not dislike a new authority with the homage that belonged to it. Mr. James Chetland was going to dine at the Grange today with a gentleman whom the girls had never seen, but whom Dorothea felt some reverberating expectation. This was Reverend Edward Chesterbone. Noted in the country as a man of profound learning, understood for many years being engaged to great work concerning religious history, also a man of wealth, enough to give lustre to his piety, and having views of his own, which were to be more clearly uncertain on the publication of his book, his very name carried impressiveness, hardly to be measured without a precise chronology of scholarship. Early day Dorothea go returned from the infant school, which they had set going in the village, to you taking a usual place in the pretty sitting room which divided the bedrooms of his sister, spent and finishing a plan for some buildings, kind of work she delighted in. Cecilia, who had been watching her, hesitating in desire, proposed something, said, Dorothea, dear, if you don't mind, if you are very busy, suppose we looked at Mamma's jewels today, divided them exactly six months a day since Uncle gave them to you. You have not looked at them yet. His face had a shadow of pouting expression in it, a feel presence of pout, being kept back by the habitual awe of fear, principle, two associated facts which might show a mysterious electricity if you touched them incautiously. To her relief, Dorothy's eyes were full of laughter, and she looked up. What a wonderful little almanac you are, Celia, in six months. It's the sixth calendar, or six lunar months. It's the last day of September now. It's the first of April when Uncle gave it them to you. You know, he said he'd forgotten them till then. I believe you've never thought of them since you locked them up in the cabinet we're here. Well, dear, we should have never wear them. You know, Dorothy spoke, full cold tone, half caressing, half explanatory. She had her pencil in her hand and making tiny side plans on the margin.
Trina coloured and looked very grave. I think, dear, we have been wanting to respect of Mamma's memory to put them put them by and take no notice of them. Then she added, rather hesitating a little, rising sob, more of mortification. Necklaces are quite l- usual now. And Madame Pocaine, who is more strict on some things than you are, used to wear ornaments, and Christians generally wear, surely they are women in heaven, who wear jewels. Celia was conscious of some mental strength when she really applied herself to her argument. You would like to wear them, exclaimed Dorothea, in an air of astonished discovery, and emanating a whole person with dramatic attraction. She caught from the very minimum protocol of all the ornaments. Of course, then, let us have them out. Why did you not tell me before? But the keys, the keys. Pressed her hands against the sides of her head, and seeing despair of memory. They are here, said Celia, for whom this explanation being long meditated and prearranged. Pray open the large drawer of the cabinet and get out the jewelry box. Caskets soon open. For them, various jewels spread out, making a bright pedorini on the table. It's not no great collection, but few of the ornaments were really remarkable beauty, finest to the obvious. First being a necklace of purple aphrodisiacs, set in exquisite gold work and a pearl crossed with five brilliants in it. Dorothea immediately took up the necklace and fastened it round the sister neck. We were fitting almost as closely as a bracelet. The circuit suited Henrietta's Maria, Dorothea's head and neck, and she could see it did appear glass opposite. There, said Celia, you wear that with your Indian muslin, but you, but this. But this cross you must wear dark wear with dark cross dark dresses. So you was not wearing not, not trying to smile with pleasure. Oh Dodo, you must keep the cross yourself. No, dear, no, said Dorothea, putting up her hand, careless deprivation. Yes indeed you must. It will suit you in your black dress now, said him insistently. You must wear that. Not for the world, not for the world. I cross is the last thing I wear as a trinket, Dorothea shuddered slightly. Then you think it wicked of me to wear it, said Celia uneasily. No, dear, no, said her friend, stroking her sister's treat. Souls are complex, are complexes too. What will suit one will not suit another, but you might like to keep it for Mamma's sake. Now I have other things for Mamma, sandalwood box, which I'm fond, I am fond of. Plenty of things, in fact, they're all yours, dear. We need discuss them no longer. There, take away your property. Celia f- felt a little hurt. The strong assumption of superiority, his protonic toleration, hardly less trying, blonde, fresh, an emphatic sister with a panatonic persecution. But how can I wear helmets if you or my old sister will never wear them? Nay, sir, there's too much to ask. Should wear trinkets to keep you in the continents. If I were to put on such a necklace as that, I would feel as if I'd been pirating. The world would go round with me. I should not know how to walk. See, it was unclasped the necklace and drawn it off. It would be a little tight for your neck. Something to lie down and hang would suit you better. Said some with some satisfaction, complete fair fitness and necklace. With all the points of view of Dorothea, they see her happy in taking it. She had opened some ring boxes which to close a fine emerald with diamonds, for just then the sun passing beyond the cloud. Going sent this bright gleam over the table. 
How very beautiful those gems are, Sophia, under a new current feeling. She's sudden as a gleam, as her age down deeply colours. Seems to be penetrating one, like a scent. I suppose there's a reason why gems use the spiritual emblems of the of St. John. They look like fragments of heaven. I think that emerald is more beautiful than any of them. There's a bracelet to match it, said Ophelia. You did not notice it at first? They are lovely, said Dorothea. So been a ring and bracelet on the finely turned finger of wrist. They held in towards the window and leveled her eyes. All the while she thought she tried just by delight, colours by merging them, the mystic joys, joys, which joy. You like those, Dorothea, said Celia. Rather flattery, beginning to think with wonder that sisters show some weakness. Nor say animals that suit her own complex, even better than purple amethysts. You must keep that ring and brace it if nothing else. But see, these aggregates are very pretty and quiet. Yes, I'll keep these. His ring and brace it, said Ophelia. They're letting her hand fall on the floor table. She said in another tone, they're that middle man. Men find such things and work at them and sell them. She pulls again and see her fault. And sis was going to be renounced the ornaments. It's consistency she ought to do. Yes, dear, I will keep those, said Dorothea. Sorry. I take all the rest away in the casket. You took a lot of pencil without moving jewels. Still looking at them, thought of her often, having them by her, to feed her eye at those little fountains of pure colour. Shall we wear them in company, Cecilia? I was watching with real curiosity, and what should she should would do? Vivia glanced quickly at her sister. Across of all her magic adornment of those whom she loved, as Doddy now, even a keen discernment, was not without a scorching quality. Miss Crook was attained perfect weakness. It would be not for lack of inward fire. Perhaps, she said, rather haughtily, I cannot tell what, what level I may sink. Celia blushed and was unhappy. She saw that she was offended her sister. Dare not say even anything pretty about the gift of the ornaments, which she put back in the box and carried away. Dorothea, too, was unhappy, and she went on plain drawing, questioning the purity of her own feeling and speech and scene, which ended with a little explosion. Celia's unconsciousness told her she had not been at all in the wrong. It was quite natural, justifiable. She would have asked the question. She repeated to herself, but Dorothea, listen either. She should have taken... Four shared jewels after what she had said, or she should have renounced them altogether. I'm sure at least I trust, Pussia, that wearing a necklace will not interfere with my prayers. I don't see what I should be bound for Toyofia's opinions. Now we're going to be in society. Now, of course, she herself ought to be bound by them. But Dorothea is not always consistent. I see him moodily bending over tapestry. And so she heard her sister calling her. Here, Kitty, come and look at my plan. She'll think it of a great ant attack if I if I have to go incapable stairs, incapable stairs and fireplaces. She had been over the paper. To, to if he had put her cheek against her sister's arm, caressing Celia, answered the action. To if he saw that she had been wrong, and Celia pardoned her. Since they they could remember. There had been a mixture of criticism and awe in their attitude of Celia's mind towards the elder sister. She had always worn a yoke, but there only, but there any yoke creature about, but the younger had always worn a yoke, but there any yoke creature about its private opinions.